So this morning we are in Acts 2, and we will read verses 42 through 47, if you want to join me there. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. If you're joining us here in person or online, um, grateful to have you with us. My name is Nate, and um, the privilege of just speaking about community this morning. And uh, not too long ago, there was a book that came out that was called All, All Joy and No Fun. And it was about parenting in our modern day. And the author was making the point that right now, in our kind of modern Western moment, here's the situation. Every relationship, friendship, institution to marriage is now negotiable. In other words, it's basically this. You'll only stay with someone as long as it's helping you realize who you are. And the the author is making this point that the one relationship that's left where that isn't the case is parenting. In other words, right, like when that three-year-old is throwing a fit at Target, you can't just say, this isn't working for me, (laughs) right? Like, I need to move on. Um, I'm done with you. It's the one relationship that's still there. And that book is really a window into our moment right now. Um, A moment in which our commitment to others has been replaced by a commitment to self where actually deep commitments to others are actually a threat to ourself. But there's another side to this that we're seeing in. Um, Recently, there was a study being done in England, and they identified in England that there's as many as 800,000 people that are chronically lonely. Um, There was a stat that said 17% of older people interact with family or friends or neighbors less than one time a week. 11% do so less than once a month. And the whole country of England has actually um, addressed this by appointing a minister of loneliness to address the chronic problem. And it's interesting, when they do these studies, they, they, they said this, that this loneliness is linked to a variety of health factors from dementia to depression. In some cases, there's even a sense, a study being done where it actually increases the risk of early death up to, up to 30%. And here's the irony. In our present moment, in which others are a threat to ourself, the other side of fleeing those commitments is a breakdown of our own bodies mentally and physically, which suggests something, that we were built for community. And this tension is actually addressed in the narrative of Scripture. You know, the opening scene of the Scriptures is a God who creates everything, and there's this rhythm of every day, it was good, it was good, it was good, and it was good. 
And the first time that it's not good, it's a time before sin entered the world, is when Adam is alone. And God says, it's not good that man is alone. And so, right, like, if you, if you know the story, he makes Eve out of the rib of man, and, and they marry, and Adam sings this song over his bride. It's this, it's this wonderful, amazing moment in which right from the very beginning, you begin to understand that we were meant for relationship, not only with God, but with one another. And yet the next part of the story, right, they, they eat the forbidden fruit and everything breaks down. Not only their relationship with God, but their relationship with one another. They hide from each other. They blame shift. They accuse each other. And before you get out of chapter 4 in the opening book of Genesis, their offspring actually ends up murdering one, right? And the message from this opening scene is simply this. The reason why relationships unravel, the reason why there's such brokenness and there's oppression and there's racism and there's hate and there's apathy towards others is because first and foremost, our relationship with God has been undone. But this is not the end of the story. If you go to the very end of Scripture, the book of Revelation, the future vision is of humanity being restored. It's an image of a garden-like city coming down out of heaven, in which, as one author puts it, humanity is living with perfect safety, sharing justice and joy. In other words, God's plan is nothing short of rescuing and repairing our relationship to Him. But He also intends to restore our relationship with one another. And here's what this means. It means we were created for life with each other and life together with God. Let me say that again. You and I were created for life with each other and life together with God. And our passage picks up in the middle of the broader narrative of Scripture. A moment when God's rescue and repair has gotten underway. It's broken in, in the person and work of Jesus. The long-awaited king has come. He's been crucified and he's risen and he's reigning and he's reconciling people back to himself. And not only that, but we see in this passage, bringing them together. And we have a summary of what that community looked like. And it's not for nostalgia's sake, right? It's not to just be like, do you remember those really good old days? It's actually here in the present moment for the church. It's to be a pattern in the present to encourage, to challenge, to draw us back to what we were created for. Life together. And life together with God. And Luke, 
I want to suggest shows us two things here. He shows us the pattern of this life together, and then he shows the power for this life together. So let me pray, and we'll step in. Father, you know, um, you know how we're arriving this morning in this moment. You know the hurt that has happened in the midst of relationships that we've experienced, some of those even in the church. Lord, you know the loneliness that some of us bring to this moment. You know us through and through, and yet, Lord, I pray during this time that, Lord, you would do a work in such a way that your spirit would draw us toward that vision of what you've made us for, of life together and life together with you. So we pray you do work, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, so the central theme of this almost entire section here is what verse 42 uses the word fellowship. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of fellowship. Maybe it's Lord of the Rings. But my story goes back to, I actually grew up in the church, and we had a room. It was called the Fellowship Hall. I had no idea what fellowship meant, but apparently that's where it happened. And basically what that was, was between services, it was just some really bad coffee with maybe some like food thrown out and then just some chit-chat, right? Most of it kind of idle. And um, now listen, there's nothing wrong with baked goods. There is something wrong with bad coffee. I have a problem with that. But that's actually not an accurate term of fellowship. Fellowship is about this. It means what we share with one another, what we have in common with one another. And the picture that we see in this summary is far more deep, pervasive, and costly than what I think any of us have experienced. And we see this deep, costly fellowship of sharing life together with God in kind of three movements. This is the pattern of living life together upward, of living life together inward, and living life together outward. So let's begin just with the upward. Look at, look at verse 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They focus on two things they were devoted to there. The first being the apostles' teaching. Think about this for a moment. A relationship with anyone is only as good as it's accurate about who they are. And this is why it's so significant. There's a moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus says these words. He says this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Those are astounding words. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the exact representation of what God is like, of his character and nature. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what moves his heart? Jesus says, just look at me. And this is why the apostles' teaching is so important. In Acts 1.21, it's very clear that the, the apostles were the ones who had been with Jesus from the beginning of his public ministry all the way to witnessing his resurrection. 
And this is the point of the apostles' teaching. It means this. There are reliable eyewitness accounts of those who were with Jesus and saw Jesus. Do you want to know who God is? You look to Jesus. These apostles were designated. And for us today, it means it's, it's both the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures which sufficiently, and I use that word intently and authoritatively, reveal who God is and what he has done. Great summary verse. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, he says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you think about life together with God, it means coming under the scriptures. It means orbiting around the scriptures that are sufficient and authoritative. It's where we bring our misconceptions, our misunderstandings, our out-of-place views of who God is and who we are. Recently, um, I was talking with someone, and they shared after being in a year of city group with a group of people that simply welcomed them right where they were in their journey. And they said, they, they said this, they said, I misunderstood this book, speaking about the Bible, because I thought it was just about leading a good life. Those are such wonderful words to hear because it was that moment where you understood that this person is beginning to understand what grace is all about. And where did that happen? That happened in life together around the Word of God. But this life together is also one where they're devoted to prayer. That's what it says in verse 42. And you know, you see this throughout the book of Acts. We, we saw it actually last week in our conversation around, in, in, in our text around mission. The other disciples gather because they're being threatened to not speak, and they gather to pray. They pray for his, the, the power to speak, to continue to speak. You see it as they pray to make decisions about what's going to happen down the road in, in, in Acts. And in this passage, they, we see it as they attend the temple courts, which was this kind of regular routine of actually daily prayer. And this is what we observe. This common life with God, this life together with God, it was not only in conversation with one another, it was in conversation with God about one another. Think about this for a moment. Um, <laughs> these mix... Here's one of the things about this pattern we see is a mix of relationships that needs to move beyond, right, merely predictions of what Aaron Rodgers might do tomorrow night, right? Fellowship goes beyond a general sense of how is your week. Those are good starters, but it actually invites us into a deeper walk with one another, one in which we grow to be able to say to those alongside of us, this is what's been really hard this week. Will you pray for me? Or maybe, this is what's been really good this week. Let's rejoice at what God's done. Now, let's be honest for a moment. Many of us 
Prayer does not come easy. We know we should, and yet we're distracted. Oftentimes we're unsure of even how to pray or what to pray for. I remember several years ago, this is like year one or so, year two of Redeemer City, there was someone in our city group, and I really think he probably, at least what he told me, was that he couldn't remember the last time he prayed. And he stepped into our community as someone who was brand new to this life with God. And we would gather um, as a large group, and then we kind of break off guys over here, girls over here, and... Um, um, each week, as we got together with the guys, you know, at the very end, like, hey, let's pray for each other. And I remember each time um, we were tight enough where I could ask this. I'd say, hey, um, do you want to pray? And he'd always, he'd just be like, I'm not ready yet. And that was kind of the routine for the first few months. But we kept on asking. It was, it, what was interesting about it was one day he said yes. And he prayed for me. There's something about seeing next to someone who's relatively new to following Jesus and someone who's walked a little bit longer. But there's something about being interdependent. I'm so often one that's normally, quote unquote, my job is to minister to others, right? In some way or one way or another. But can I just tell you, it was one of those moments where this young man was ministering to me. I mean that. This life together, it, it's a life lived together in an upward rhythm. And one of the ways that this has to challenge us is simply this. Some of us view faith through a very private, individualized lens. Faith is something you do on your own time. Some of us view church kind of like it's a podcast. Let's show up, let's get the necessary information, and then I'll move out through the week. And it's not that personal side is unimportant, it's vital. But what I want you to see here is that that privatized faith is nowhere to be found outside of community. In other words, this relationship to God, this life lived upward, it's a group project. It's done together. But this life together is not only lived upward, it's also lived inward. Verse 42, we see one other thing that they do. It says they, they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. And commentators note here that this could mean it's simply just sharing meals, or it could mean the Lord's Supper. It depends who you read, but probably more than anything, it probably was both. They probably gathered, ate, and at the end of the meal, just did the Lord's Supper, practiced communion. And in verse 46, we see this practice of breaking bread was day by day. It was regular. It was all the time. At the end of our gathering, we'll, we'll, we'll participate together in this communion, but let me speak for a moment just about eating. Think about this for a moment. The life together and a life with God was one of simply eating together. Remember, he's, he's the creator God. 
And he could have just, you know, given us some fuel to fill up on, like they didn't have any flavor. But one author puts it this way. He's given us steak, Thai green curry, homemade apple pie. I added this one, beer for every season, fried chicken, frites. Those are amazing. And listen, when you gather around a meal with others, whether you realize it or not, this is what it is. It's a shared experience of both our dependence on God and the goodness of God that's given you that. Listen, this is the beautiful part about application in one sense is oftentimes all of you, you're really busy, right? I think Luke just mentioned the color-coded, you know, schedule that's common for many of us. But I doubt very many of you skip meals. <laughs> Maybe some of you do. But in, in other words, you have 21 opportunities this week to like play this out, to live life together inward to eat together, to enjoy good food together. This might be the easiest application, okay? So think about a few meals a week or one or two meals a week that you can intentionally not eat alone, but actually eat with others. But secondly, we see also this life together lived inward is financial. Look at verse 45 says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Life together in this life with God involves a voluntarily willingness to share tangible resources with members of God's family. In this situation, it was it's, it's remarkable to think about that when they saw a need, some would go and sell so they could provide for others. It was costly. Later on in the book of Acts, one of the summary statements is this, that in that community, that, that no one was in need. And this was significant in Deuteronomy 15, speaking about when God's blessing comes upon his people, it says this, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. In other words, in that early community, there's a sign that God's blessing was on them. That this promise was actually coming to some level of fulfillment through open hearts, through radical generosity. And this wasn't, this wasn't communism, like this deal where you have to give over your resources to this group, but the, it's a work of grace in the hearts of this community. And this ought to challenge us. It ought to allure us to this life together, and our life with God is not one in which we claim that what we have is our own but rather we're stewards of the resources that God has provided. And that means setting aside giving to the local church, which provides in word and sacrament, as my mentor puts it, for impoverished souls. It means through giving to benevolence, which helps others who are in need. It also means just simply looking out around you at those in city group life and the needs they have. And sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's just like, can somebody just watch my kid for a while, right? Like, but it's, it's deep and it's costly. 
This inward life, one of the things you've got to see in this passage is it's not compartmentalized. I don't know if you notice this or not, but like, it's not simply like sliced into like two hours on Sunday and then like 90 minutes on a Thursday night for city group. There's this interweaving of this community that goes much deeper than that. In other words, the community for them, it wasn't just a piece of their life. It wasn't like, I've got my yoga class over here, and I've got my educational people over here, and then I've got my church people over here. There, there was this orbit around this community that was so central to their life. It wasn't secondary. It wasn't tertiary. It was, it was central. It was one of giving and receiving lived inward together. But the third piece is life together was a life lived outward. You know, there's been examples in the past of both secular and religious groups that, you know, break away to a shared life in which they kind of isolate themselves from the rest of the world. But in this passage, we actually see in many ways they're living their lives in a public way toward those who don't share their beliefs. We catch them, for example, daily attending the temple courts, which in that day would have been filled with other fellow Jews. We catch a glimpse in verse 43 that says this, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Actually, the next chapter, we see a healing. And again, all of this these healings, all of this thing was just a self-authenticating piece of look at what God's doing through Jesus. It just testified to Jesus. But the summary statement closes out with this. Verse 47, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was, there was something about their, their lives together in public that was so compelling. And God was at work. He was rescuing people from their sin, drawing them in. It's this shared life together and life with God that is compelling. Think about this for a moment. There's something about a community that lives together, that does life together, that does life together with God together, that in some ways, as it spreads out in a community, it's compelling. It displays in the mundane through meals and prayers, that as Richard Newhouse puts it, there's fulfillment to be discovered in loss. That there's pure joy in identifying with the convicted criminal on Calvary's continuing road to life through death. That means life together in this life with God is living up, it's living in, it's living out. That's the pattern. And then the question is, how do we do it? Where do you get the power to do this? Let me be clear here for a moment. This is, this is not easy. In fact, it may not even be desirable for you. Um, one of my pastors, I read a lot of Eugene Peterson. He was a pastor, mind you, and this is what he said. I often found myself preferring the company of people outside my congregation, men and women who did not follow Jesus, or worse, preferring the company of my sovereign self 
And then he writes this, but I soon found that my preferences were honored by neither Scripture nor Jesus. <laughs> That's a pastor saying, sometimes I just want to hang out with other people outside the church. I'd rather be with them than with those who follow him. And you might be this morning in some way saying something similar. You might look around and go, there's, there's no one like me here. Or I wouldn't choose this person as a friend. Or I wouldn't choose to like, be in this sort of community. Maybe there's other people who are more interesting over here. These people are just kind of mundane, kind of normal. Or maybe this, this, these people are really difficult to be with, but I'd rather be with people that are easier to be along with. So what is it? Where's the power to live this out? Well, what happened right before the section? Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. Do you know what created this community? It wasn't a sign-up form. It wasn't a list of do's or don'ts. It was news about a crucified and risen king who has the fulfillment of what God intended to rescue and repair this world. It was the gospel that created this community. And let me tell you how that changes things. In 44 BC, there was a pagan Roman philosopher named Cicero, and he cited this, that at the, every heart of a relationship, it's not looking at each other, but it's looking at something that you hold in common with someone. In other words, what will make you lifelong friends is not looking face to face and saying, don't you want to be in a relationship with me, right? The essence of friendship is not saying, do you love me, but it's this, it's side by side, kneeling before with something else, looking at something common to adore. Something that's beautiful, something that's true. And do you know what all of these people in this summary statement have in common? It's one thing. Their common passion, their common adoration is this. It's Jesus. That's, that's it. The one who in fulfillment of God's promises has come and laid down his life. Committed to his promises and committed to you. And has risen. You see, that's grace. Think about it. All those gathered here, they're just rebels. Who have been rescued by grace. As one author would put it, that is the most formative experience. And if that's at the center, let me just tell you what, no matter who you are, no matter where you're coming from, if that's at the center, that can pull you together in ways that nothing else can. Do you understand that? Let's pray for more of that. Let's pray. Father, we um, ask you, to draw us in, take our doubts, take our cynicism, and draw us in as a community that would live life together with you and life together with each other. Lord, would you help us to move forward with this vision of a deep, costly commitment to one another, that you would help us to put 
You'd help us to be a community that, that builds inroads to that, Lord. As week by week, as we gather in City Group Life, as we gather here, Lord, would you move us more to this life together with you and life together with one another. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.